This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. Now, as you heard in Bob's news, the federal government is planning to legislate stiff penalties for people who fraudulently use the CERB, and these would range from fines to six months in jail. For those who make false or misleading claims or fail to declare income they made, while applying for or collecting the benefit. Now, it seems like a far cry from the government's previous stance when they reportedly ordered the Canada Revenue Agency to ignore red flags for fraud and just get the money out the door as fast as possible. And speaking of money out the door, Finance Minister Bill Morneau is promising a fiscal update sometime this summer. And of course, yesterday, We were all surprised by the resignation of Mark Saunders, Toronto's first black police chief. He cited mainly wanting more time with his family, an explanation that, frankly, always raises questions. So, of course, we want to hear from our audience, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And right now, I would like to welcome our panel, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and a former city councillor, as well as Charles Bird, who is the Managing Principal of Ernstcliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hello and welcome. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hey, Libby. Uh, Hey, okay. So what is up with this legislation with penalties for the CERB? Charles? Well, just by way of background, I mean, the CERB, as it was originally introduced in late March, was an effort to help those who are out of work due to the pandemic and as a result of uh, the relative shutdown of the Canadian economy. And so as of um, earlier this week, 8.4 million Canadians have applied for CERB and have received a total of $44.6 billion. And now the question is, what do we do going forward? Because the earlier provision provided that um, folks applying for CERB could do so for any period of four weeks following within the period beginning on March 15th and ending on July on uh, July 20th, um, so or rather early July, and now we need to figure out what we're going to do from the period July 5th to October 3rd of 2020. Yeah, no, so gone. the name of the game now that we have uh, a few months of experience under our belt is to confront fraud, right, which is that there's going to be a small number of people who always think that they can game the system, that they can make a fast buck, so the government, in the form of draft legislation, so not cast in stone, has made the case that we effectively need an abuse regime, which is to say to punish those that would try to rip off the system, as well as ensuring that there are return-to-work provisions, which is to say that folks um, will not be eligible for further income support if they fail to return to work when it's reasonable to do so and their employer asks them to, or if they fail to resume self-employment when it's reasonable to do so, or if they decline a reasonable job offer. 
Okay, so that's uh, John. The of what let's... we're looking at. John, uh, what's your take? Are they trying to look tougher when they looked like they were just throwing the money out the door? Well, as, as Charles says, I think, you know, it, it is draft legislation, so the devil will be in the details. Um, but I, I quite frankly think it's all about economics. I think the government rightly uh, put this program in place at a time when it was needed and, and Canadians were, were desperate to find some level of, of revenue or, or income to be able to supplement what they might have lost in order to keep rent and, and keep their uh, supplies going and, and, quite frankly, to live. So, uh, But I think the government far um, underestimated how many Canadians uh, were, were signing up. And as, as some of the numbers that Charles alluded to, uh, it grew beyond, far beyond what, what the government anticipated and what it expected. And a lot of and when you do that, and when you when you refer the money uh, to, uh, to to Canadians with with you know limited you know um, restrictions and that kind of stuff that were originally, because I think he had to he had to amend it a few times in order to make it a bit more restrictive, uh, you're going to get fraud. And I think that it's right for the government to be able to say, look, if you if you're fraud, if you're being fraudulent here, um, you know, then, then we're going to we're going to do some level of penalty. And what that is is yet to be seen. I think it's supposed to be a deterrent for those who are trying to do it in a fraudulent way, but also I think to, to let the money and to, to keep the money for those who actually do need it and, and are, are required to do it. But I think what we're seeing now too, Libby, is, is a, you know, we're seeing the recovery plans across Canada. We, we're seeing it in Ontario and, and uh, coming up this Friday where we're, we're getting into phase two. Uh, and, and employ, and I think the government has, has rightly said, look, if you, if you don't, if you don't have to do this program, then I, I would, I would encourage the employers to use the wage subsidies so that we can hire people back. Uh, in order to uh, to get the economy rolling again, and I think that that's what they're trying to push, is uh, is for people to go on the wage subsidy program versus the uh, the relief benefit pr- plan, uh, and I'm not sure how successful that is. So I, I do think that it's something that they are needing to do, and uh, but again, we'll see what what details come out of the uh, the legislation. I know that the NDP are, are uh, crying foul. Uh, the conservatives are waiting to see what the details are, um, but something that has to obviously stop, and and because uh, we just can't afford to keep doing that, especially if people are, are taking the money when they don't deserve it or need it. Uh, Karen, uh, do you see anything uh, a little strange in here? Is the fraud just uh, probably bigger than anyone imagined? Because it really did look like they weren't too worried about it at first, and uh, or do you see it as a disincentive to people going back to work? Well. I- you know, from my experience here at Variety Village, I think that, um, you know, we're recognizing the unintended consequences of a well-meaning program that was rolled out to meet an emergency situation. Um, but now we understand the implications of that because I've recalled workers that um, to put them on the, the wage subsidy and take them off the CERB and they've chosen not to come back. Really? Yeah. And because it's more advantageous for them to be collecting the CERB than it is to be collecting 75% of their wage. And uh, are they aware? I mean, are you going to extend that possibility to them when this draft legislation passes? Well, and see, and this is to the point, the devil's in the details, because I don't think anybody's acting fraudulently. I think they're acting rationally. And so we, we've created a situation that now has put people in a position where they're just making rational choices based on the options that are available to them, but they are expensive for the government to maintain. And so I think that moving forward, it shouldn't be couched in terms of fraud, because I don't know that many people are behaving fraudulently, but they, we certainly want to shift that behavior away from the CERB onto you know, taking employment positions. And if the government is going to subsidize wages for employers, 
then it does beg the question, how long do you then provide direct support to people that are not accepting those jobs? Uh, So let me ask you this. Assuming that this passes with those provisions, are you going to reach out to those workers again and see if they want to come back on board or is that it? Well, for, for us, it's hard because we've had no income since March. And if we don't have any income until September, I, you know, it creates a, another set of issues as an employer to deal with. And so it, it, there's um, a mounting problem ahead in terms of as the workforce shifts and changes, and new opportunities become available, but other opportunities may not be available to go back to. How is the government going to support both businesses and workers? And while this program was well intended for a, a particular period of time, it's not one that we can afford on an ongoing basis. John, uh, um, do you see that as a big problem? People deciding, uh, gee, I'd rather stay home and collect $2,000 than go back on, on the uh, wage subsidy payroll. Well, and for some it makes sense, but but Karen's absolutely right, and and, and in Karen's case, she's actually living it, you know, in real time because of her of the work that she's done in the organization that she leads. But um, we're hearing cases like that all the time, where where employers are getting frustrated in the sense that they are finding more and more uh, of their employees uh, not wanting to come back because of the benefit and the fact that it's in summer. But you know, look, we're we're it's just uncertain times, and I think that everybody is just still kind of grasping with the fact that. You know, is the recovery, is the recovery really going to work? Are we really going to get back into, uh, into what, what might be a new normal? Uh, there's also fear, quite frankly, that in the fall there might be a resurgence of this, uh, of this, uh, uh virus. Um, so, you know, we're opening up and I think that's good and it's, and it's sort of playing well for the psyche of people to kind of see it. Although not if you're living in the GTT, um, we have to wait a little bit longer for that. But, but nonetheless, I think people are starting to see that and, and employers, uh, are actually trying to get their companies back. I know in my case, you know, I've got an, we've got an office tower in downtown Toronto. There's no plans to come back uh, for some time because we're all working from home. But but there are going to be some limitations where people that aren't taking a TTC and can get to work either by car or by bike are able to go in, in some limited fashion just to get folks back in the office and, and, and to get that, you know, the feeling of, of being back to somewhat of a all of that is still uncertain. So I think people are still worried about what their income is going to be, and employers are, are worried about if they're going to be able to pay their employees. Charles, uh, let's move along to uh, Mark Saunders stepping down as police chief. What, what do you make of that? Boy, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, it, it appears that those who do know what the real situation is aren't talking. I know that uh, Chief Saunders had another few months left on his contract. So why he's chosen Eight, to make the move now, your guess is as good as mine. Obviously, he said that um, it's for the sake of spending more time with his family. I suppose we could take him at his word. Um, I mean, if you start to sift through the tea leaves a little bit, obviously, um, over the course of his time as chief of the Toronto Police Services, um, you know, there have been some issues uh, with certain minority groups in some areas. The events of recent weeks have certainly refocused the whole role of policing in our society. Uh, it's likely that not just the Toronto Police Force, but also, but also police forces around North America will be undergoing very, very fundamental change in terms of um, how they handle patrolling, how they handle uh, stopping individuals, the whole very contentious issue of racial profiling, 
if anything, the last few days have made clear that there there have to be very substantive changes. So it may be that it was it was decided that um, him leaving sooner rather than later might be the way to go. Well, I you know just sifting through all of this, and as I said, when somebody says they want to spend more time with their family, it always raises questions. Though I kind of did believe him when he said, "I've never had an August off," and I'm thinking, you know what. Buddy, uh, you're going to enjoy your August, but by October, you're going to be waking up in the morning wondering what the heck you're going to do with your life. Um, but uh, it it just uh, left me scratching my head. And then I saw one reference that the Police Services Board had hired a search firm a month ago. Did anybody else see that? Uh, does any John, do you have any insight on what's going on there? No, I'm not surprised by that, given the fact that his contract was extended a year and, and he had eight months left of it. Um, but you know, and I think I think Charles is right. No, no one knows exactly what, what's going on. If they do, they're not they're not speaking about it. But um, I must say that you know I've had the pleasure of, of meeting uh, Chief Saunders a number of times and got to know him, and, and he is a gem of a human. Uh, he really is. Unlike his, his predecessors, you know, who are maybe larger than life in personality, he uh, just went about doing his. He was soft spoken. Um, he had a really good demeanor, uh, and I think will 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 be known for his modernization of the police force. Uh, certainly, the the, uh, the body cams that that he is uh, that you know that he obviously wants to see sort of implemented, and I think is going to start really start to be seen over the course of the next little uh, few months. But um, you know, I am also any, any politician or public figure that says that they want to retired to, to, for family life, I think, is always always raises questions, as you said at the outset, Libby. But I, I love his comment about how I've never had an August off, and, and I want to take an August off. And I think that is a really good answer. And I think it, it also gave me some sense of, oh, maybe he really does want to, you know, just retire and relax. I, I, I got to believe that, you know, when, you're, when your term has been extended, uh, and you're and you're in a political office as as he is in a very political office as, as Toronto Police Chief. Uh, you have a few months left. The timing of it, do you do you want to wait to the very end of your extension, whereby everybody starts talking about who's going to replace you and what's going to happen and all this kind of stuff, or do you want to leave at a time when you know you've done your thing? You've, you've you know I just you know the timing of it I think is, is suspect. But I also believe though that you know the Chief Saunders has done as much as he could with what he's had. Uh, and leaving on a bit of a higher note uh, is good. I wish he would have stayed on, just given all of this this turmoil that's happening with uh, with police, at, uh, you know, across the world, but certainly in the U.S. and, and here, um, you know, having having somebody of of Chief Saunders' stature over the next few months, I think, would have probably helped not only the city but this country. Uh, Karen, you would have been the closest to this as a city councillor. Yeah, and I, I think John nailed it. You know, the um, I think Chief Saunders is, is a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, I, you know, again, I don't know. I'm not in the know, but uh, he's not a politician. And when I reflected back on Julian Fantino and Bill Blair, um, they left the role of chief of police and went on to become politicians. And Mark Saunders won't do that and because he's <laughs> not that fundamentally. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he looked at the issues and challenges ahead and thought, you know, they're not mine to solve. And the incoming chief of police is going to have to deal with these issues. And in fairness to that, that person and in fairness to the, to the role um, and the challenges ahead, he just thought, I, I, I just don't know if, if you know, th- if this is the right role for me at the right time. And, you know, I think um, 
when someone decides to leave and then they leave on their own terms, I think that they get to design their exit strategy. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a little bit of what's at play now and that he's deciding how he wants to leave as opposed to having it decided for him. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's coming as suddenly uh, the calls to defund police are reverberating here. There's going to be a motion at city council to take away 10% of their budget. I'm not sure that they're clear on what they want to replace it with. And and also the obvious, you know, he's Toronto's first black police chief. Uh, and uh, I, I know that, that some members of minority groups uh, have issues with him, but there's certainly a, a symbolic value in that above and beyond his work as as police chief. No question about it. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, looking back, he did, he had, and he cited a number of challenges that the police services and uh, the police force had to grapple with over his term. And, and um, you know, it was, it was a difficult term for him, for the p- difficult time for the police. And I think he managed it um, with his characteristic, low-key, let's just get the job done approach. And, um, but I think moving forward, there might be some different skills that are needed. And, and he's, Self, maybe perhaps self-aware enough to know that he doesn't have those skills. Um, Pat has been waiting patiently with a theory as to why Chief Saunders oh. resigned. Hi, Pat. Yeah, good afternoon. I think it's a very simple reason. Those people, people working in government jobs, typically have government pensions that max out after 35 years of service. It's 2% a year. Uh, up to 35 years. So he's getting a 70% pension based on his last five years of service. Now, he may have a special or a better relation or a better situation than that. But would any of us want to work for 30%? I mean, he can go home and take home 70% and get another job at the same time. Well, if you're passionate about the job, maybe you do. I mean, uh, uh, he was making over 400k a year, so I, I don't think he's hurting. Exactly, but he, his pension is going to be substantial, and that's why. And I'm I'm surprised that your uh, your former um, municipal councillor, as I was, people leave government and go to other governments once their pensions are maxed, so that they can get a regular job as well as take home their 70 percent pension. Yeah, well, um, uh, as I said, you know, if you're, if you're passionate and you have a huge leadership job, I'm not sure that that's the case. If you're, you know, a high level bureaucrat, probably it is. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's a theory, Pat, and we're short on those. So thanks for your call. (laughs) Anybody think that he's, uh, he's just taking the cash and skedaddling? Oh, I think Pat's spot on. Um, I mean, he, I mean, there, there's no doubt that Chief Saunders could, will, you know, you talk about what's he going to be doing in October. There's any number of private sector positions having to do with security intelligence that will pay him extremely well. He and, talked about doing you know, stuff for he still will, he'll still get his pension. And so, yeah, he could, he could stand to make an awful lot of money and who can blame him? I mean, he's, he's worked all these years. He's risen to the top of his profession and, uh, and more power to him. He he made a reference to wanting to do stuff for free. I guess that doesn't uh, that that doesn't discount him from taking an actual job. Uh, but he did. That's what he said. He wanted to do some work for free. 
And he made yeah. a joke about going into politics, but I think everybody knew it was a joke. Well, you should try parenthood if he wants to do something for free. I tell you, it's nothing like it. <laughs> I think he, he mentioned that as well. <laughs> Nothing's ever for free. <laughs> so what about this? Uh, is this just a copycat thing that uh, uh, Councillor Josh Matlow and, and Kristen Wong-Tam are introducing a motion to defund the police? Is that a real thing here, John? Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I think it could very well be sort of a copycat of what's happening out of coming out of Minnesota. Uh, I think that, you know, you're seeing, of course, now, you know, in the U.S., the polarization of, of anything that, that is um, that is a major issue is happening because of an election that's, that's looming and coming up closely. And this is no this, this was no exception when, when Minnesota's council came up with this defunding and that President Trump is using it as a as an election issue to say, well, you know, if you elect, you elect the Democrats, they're going to uh, erase the police forces and defund them and, and all this kind of stuff. And in fact, I think Minnesota's council is basically saying that they want to, def- you know, limit the funding of the police force, but make it much more community based. All that to say, uh, what, what works in the U.S. and what might might be said in the U.S. does not affect us here in Canada. Um, and, and I'm just not sure where the councils are going on this. I think Chief Saunders early on uh, in his term actually did. Um, uh, "Quote unquote," defund the police force and, and uh, shaved off some of the police, uh, uh, the police crew, uh, the feet on the ground. And then I think because of some of the gun violence that escalated over the course of the last number of years, uh, the pressure from the unions and others were to put to put more police back on uh, and to increase the funding back to police. So I think you see the ebb and flow of that whenever something happens. But I think what's happening out of the U.S. and what what they're doing should not be reflected in, in how we. Uh, are dealing with uh, our police forces here in Canada, especially here in Toronto. Karen, uh, yesterday I talked to uh, three leaders in the Black community. They all like the idea of defunding the police. I gather that uh, a lot of uh, citizens who are members of minority groups have been talking to their councillors and emailing them about it. And I guess the theory is not to get rid of it altogether, but take 10% and put it into some other type of agency that's more focused on social work to respond to certain things. They just say the police are doing too much. Do you think this has any kind of legs in in the council as you see it? I I do. I I think there's going to be different pressures that will play into that this year. Um, Number one is the budget challenges the city has, generally speaking. Uh, number two, I think, is the growing realization that the police have had to pick up where their, you know, other agencies have been defunded. They've had to pick up some of that work, particularly around mental health and some of the, uh, the safety nets that used to be present that aren't there as, 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 as they should be. And the police are the ones, as I say, left to respond to those calls and maybe don't have the adequate training to do so. And uh, there was also a move that um, to have more citizen involvement in some of the tasks and functions that the police normally would hold. And so all of that, I think, has been percolating uh, anyway. And, um, you know, and I think that, uh, but, you know, I, I do think that there's a bit of showmanship with this current motion, uh, particularly <laughs> because Councillor Wong Tam represents a community that uh, is uh, the LGBTQ community, which had um, significant uh, issues with the police in terms of how they managed that serial killer and those uh, those killings within the, the community. So I, I think there is a little bit of that at play, but there's no question that um, the police services is going to have to rethink how they do their business, as will every other city agency, just because of the, the lack uh, the, of the funding pressures. And how do you think John Tory will handle all that? I think it will be um, a new role for, for, 
for John, to be honest, um, because as mayor, he's had the benefit of being overseeing a number of initiatives around um, city building, city expansion, uh, growing the budget, you know, and he and he took a difficult position to actually raise taxes uh, to invest in city services and in, invest in infrastructure. And uh, it will be very difficult to oversee a budget of constraint. And um, many groups will um, not be able to get what they hope. And many city departments will have to be, uh, you know, again, creatively rethought about how they deliver services. And so it's going to be t- it's going to be tough. Charles, uh, do you think uh, do you agree that this defund the police has legs here in Toronto? Well, I mean, defunding is is such a loaded term, and uh, I, I think you you one we consider law enforcement to be an integral part of a safe and orderly society. So let's let's start right there. Um, second, there is a lot of minority groups in Canada and the United States who see the police as an object of oppression, and you know that that may sound overhanded, but it's true. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of young black males in Toronto who, when they see a police officer, think at some level that their lives may be in danger. And there are rules which parents relay to black children along these lines about how to conduct yourself because you are seen differently. And that's at the, that's at the core of the issue. But I, I don't think the answer is necessarily in defunding police. A few years back, um, in the relatively small city of Camden, New Jersey, it really had become the poster child for crime and out-of-control police and uh, a relationship that was just poisonous. And the Camden Police Force, to its complete credit, decided that it was going to re- reinvest itself in community policing and introduce police into the community as forces of good and as mentors and as friends an entirely different approach to policing, um, and it has paid off in ways that no one could have imagined. Crime in Camden, New Jersey, is down 40% in the last five years. And that, I mean, that's, that's an extraordinary record of achievement, and I think that's probably the way forward, which is how do we take police forces who are generally seen as, you know, the big bad enforcers of the law and turn them into agents of good in our communities where they can help young people rather than scare the bejesus out of them. Okay. Uh, we're basically out of time, but I'm going to give uh, Karen and John 20 seconds each. What are we going to see in the coming week? Uh, well, I hope to see the uh, phase two reopening for the greater Toronto area and <laughs> Niagara. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, hope that we can get to a place with public health where they can be tracking and, uh, you know, getting ahead of the virus and, you know, we're already seeing that the emergency rooms are have pressure again because uh, people that weren't going are now going back and, they, and they're and they sick. And so um, that's what I'm hoping to see next week. John? Yeah, I think the reopening, the sort of the phase two approach, I, I, Mike Karen, I'd like, to, I'd like to see it sort of happen and, and take effect here in Toronto, in the, in the greater Toronto area, for sure. Uh, I also think, too, from a federal conservative leadership perspective, there's going to be some debates happening uh, I believe this weekend uh, over the next number of days. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and, and what the uh, the four conservative leadership candidates, but mostly I think what, what Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole will have to say over the course of the last next little while will be interesting. 
Okay. Well, uh, first of all, people, speaking of reopening, I've got uh, two infectious disease specialists to talk about where we're at coming up after the break. In the meantime, thank you so much to our crack strategy panel, Charles Bird, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz. Talk again next week, if not before. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.